So will you please stand for the reading of the word? I told John that I'm going to do, uh, what did I say? 23 through 31, but I'm going to stop at 30. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets and in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I may profane, uh, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst are like wolves, tearing their prey, to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for, for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they are wrongfully oppressed and have wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Will you pray with me? My Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and just this opportunity to come here and just to worship you and to receive your message. Father, I pray that you'll just open the hearts and the minds and the ears and just let us receive your message in the way that you want us to hear it. Father, I ask that you just remove me from the situation and let your word speak through me. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I give you all the glory. Actually, thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I debated, I really wanted to read the whole chapter because it just kind of gives the background and the story of what it is. But I really want to focus on just verse 30. It says, So I fought, sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I have found no one. So today's message is really just for me and the men. Because in today's society, we're being brainwashed into believing that men and women are equal. Strong masculinity is now called a toxic trait, and feminism is a big movement spreading throughout the, this country. Now, I'm not saying that men are better than women. I'm saying that we were created for different roles in God's kingdom. The men are leaders. The men are created to be leaders in our homes. We're the disciplinary leaders of our homes, and the women are the nurturers. Now, that doesn't mean that either one of us is better than the other, but that means that together we are complete. See, man, we've got to step up and start doing a better job of what we were created to do. I want to give you some stats here. When a woman comes to church first, only 17% of the time does the rest of the family join. But when the man comes first, 93% of the time the rest of the family joins. There are about 113 million men over the age of 15 in America. And an estimated 69 million of those don't profess any type of faith in Christ. That's 61% of American men that don't believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. On a typical Sunday morning, the congregation is 61% female and only 31% male. 25% of married women come to church without their husbands. Midweek services are 70 to 80% women. 75% of the volunteers in church are women. 
The average ratio at a Christian college is three girls to every one boy. And only 10% of active churches have a men's ministry, and only 1% of church-going men participate in those ministries. See, men, it's time we step up. It's time we step into the role in God's kingdom of what we were created to do. We can look around in the world today and we can see the enemy at work. Satan doesn't even hide in the shadows anymore. He walks right out in the open and no one even bats an eye at him. See, there's a confusion that men can be women and women can be men. We have boys that want to compete in women's sports and they're called heroes for it. We have men that are using women's bathrooms, men dressing in women's clothing, drag queens all over TV. You have movies and commercials that promote homosexuality. And our government leaders not only encourage these sins, but they promote them. TV shows have portrayed men as either Archie Bunkle, Bunker, the bigot, male chauvinist, know-it-all that belittles his wife, children, and anyone else that disagrees with him, or as Raymond from Everybody Who Loves Raymond, the dummy with the intelligence of a fifth grader that couldn't handle day-to-day -day life if it wasn't for his wife. See, Satan has spent generations destroying what the male role model is, and that's the problem. We don't understand what a real man should be nowadays. Half of our society can't define what a man or woman is, so how can we be something that we can't define? How can we raise boys to be men if we don't understand the description of manhood? It doesn't take a genius to see that our country, our culture, and our churches are in desperate need of some real men. Men who completely, clearly, and even courageously understand that as a man, they were made by the hand of God in the image of God with the divine responsibility given to them by God himself to lead their families, their culture, and the world. So where do we look for this definition of a real man? Where do we find the example of a real man? We look at the Bible and we study the life of the greatest man ever to walk the earth, Jesus Christ. So first, let's look at the corrupt picture of Jesus. Many people have an inaccurate view of who Jesus was. I'm not talking about the people that say Jesus wasn't virgin born, or that Jesus wasn't the son of God, or that he wasn't raised from the dead. These are all views from people outside of the church. But I want to look at the inaccurate views from inside the church. See, there's a belief that once you become a Christian, you have to seek your manliness and become a weak, cowardly man. We were told that we were be, to be timid. We were told that we were supposed to be accepting. We were told that we're not supposed to point out anybody's sins. We're reminded that Jesus was the sweet lamb of God, but we forget that he was also the lion of Judah. I'm not talking about a little house cat here. I'm talking about a full-blown lion. So the view of Jesus being the ultimate nice guy is the very thing that turned many men away from being Christ, or being following Christ. Because honestly, a large number of men are already fighting for their masculinity, and to be a part of a belief system that takes away whatever they have left is something that men just don't want to be a part of. So now let's look at the correct view of Jesus. Jesus was shaded and molded by truth. He stood on truth. Yes, he exercised grace many times, but he never compromised truth. So here are some truths that we can apply to ourselves to help become godly, biblical, real men. Number one, Jesus lost his cool. Jesus wasn't above losing his cool on important matters. John 2, 13 through 17 gives us the story of Jesus cleansing out the temple. 
You see, we forget that in verse 15 it says Jesus made a whip and drove everybody out of the temple. Jesus took what was going on in the temple as an insult against God, and he did not deal with it half-heartedly. He was consumed with righteous anger because of the disrespect for God. Number two, Jesus pointed out sinners. Jesus was not above pointing out sin and sinners, and he backed down from no one. There are, there are several times that the Pharisees and Sadducees tried to trick and trap Jesus with questions of the doctrine. And Jesus responded by calling them hypocrites, blind fools, snakes, vipers, and many other things. So by today's standards, many people would say that Jesus wasn't even acting like a Christian. But number three, Jesus stood on eternal truth. From the time he was tempted in the wilderness and all throughout his life, his response to whatever came up was based on his knowledge of eternity. So what truth do you stand on? Or better yet, what truth have you been taught to stand on? Is it our culture? The lies of our society? Our father's values? Honestly, how much time have we spent studying on eternal truth? See, the reason that Jesus could lose his cool and not sin was because he knew what righteous was and what it wasn't. Number four, Jesus applied grace. Jesus always knew when to apply grace. In chapter 4 of John, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He tells her of, her of her sins that she has committed, but instead of insulting her or punishing her, he showed her grace. Number five, Jesus knew his strength. Jesus always knew where his strength came from. This is where we as men often miss the boat. We believe that we are self-made. Our pride and our arrogance gets in the way of us, and we become loners. Jesus showed us that he got his strength from his Father. The Bible records many times of Jesus praying. You see, men, we are stronger than we believe. We are better equipped than what we believe, but we've got to realize where our strength truly comes from. And number six, Jesus showed emotion. John eleven thirty five says Jesus wept. Guys, it's okay to have a heart of flesh. Godly men do cry. Genesis chapter 1, God says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And in the Old Testament, there are many prophets that give examples of God's sadness. His desire is that everyone is saved, and he is grieved that some reject eternal salvation and turn from his love. You see, we are created to be like God. So we should rejoice when the prodigal son returns, and we should mourn for every person that's not, that doesn't give their heart to Jesus. So we've looked at the corrupt and the correct view of Jesus, and now let's look at the complete view of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul compares Adam and Jesus. He actually calls him the first Adam and the last Adam. So we need to understand that God created man first and gave him the responsibility to lead. The woman was created from the rib of Adam, as someone suited exactly to his needs. One of Adam's responsibilities is for, to protect her. That remains the same today for, for us men. But in Genesis 3, Adam bells on his responsibility. When the serpent comes, Adam goes passive. Adam wasn't on the other side of the garden. He was there with Eve. And when she needed his leadership and strength, he abandoned his role as a leader and a protector. As a matter of fact, he became a follower. And then when God came asking questions, he invented the blame game. First, he blamed the woman, saying it was her fault that she gave it to me. 
But then he even blamed God and said, the woman you gave me. But then the woman, following the example of the man, puts the blame on the serpent. You see, this is the reason why we call it man's, man's sin. You know, I tell my wife a lot of times that, well, y'all eat the fruit, it's y'all's fault. But in reality, the man didn't do his job when he was supposed to, and he could have stopped us a long time ago. And I'm convinced that's why when you ask your, woman, your wife now where she wants to eat, she says, I don't know. She said, they, don't, they don't want to make that mistake again. But in Matthew 26, we see Jesus demonstrating manhood to the fullest. In the garden, under tremendous emotional stress, weakened from not eating, Jesus faced the most difficult time of his life. And what did he do? He prayed. He submitted to the Heavenly Father. When Judas came, what was his response? When Peter drew his sword, what did he do? So what's the difference between Jesus' actions and Adam's actions? First, he rejected being passive. His prayer wasn't, Father, I'm out of here. This is too painful, too hard, or too much for me to ask. He submitted to the role of the Father. Second, he accepted his responsibility. He expressed his attitude by saying, not my will, but thy will be done. He accepted the fact that the call of the Father outranked any personal or preferred desires that he might have. Third, he acted courageously. He told Peter to put down his sword, that now wasn't the time. His focus was on the bigger picture. In the mind of Jesus, he was focused on the salvation of the world. And lastly, he expected victory. He expected God's reward. He had spent so much time in prayer with the Father that he knew God's way was always the best. So the biblical definition of a man is he rejects, he rejects being passive, he takes responsibility, he acts courageously, and he expects victory. So we can't make this a reality without a personal walk with Christ. It won't happen if our relationship with Christ is just coming to church on Sunday or attending the once-a-month fellowship meal. Now, don't get me wrong, coming to church is very important in the life of a Christian. But it must begin with the commitment to Christ. The requirement is to believe in him, to become like him, and to be bold for him. Men, it's time to stand up and say enough's enough. It's time to take back what we've lost. It's time to stop making excuses of I just don't have time, or I got too much going on already, or I just need to focus on my personal self. Men, our families need us. Our daughters need us. Our daughters need us to show them what a godly man is. Our sons need us to raise them to be godly men. You see, women, I'm sorry to tell you all this, but y'all can't raise boys to be men. That's our job, and y'all have got to back off and let us do what we, what we were created to do. Our churches need men to step up and get involved. Our community needs us. There are many boys and girls alike in this community that don't have a godly male role model in their lives, and we've got to step up and be that person for them. You see, it's time to get off the couch and be who God created you to be. It's time to be that wall and stand in the gap for those who aren't. It's time to get off the fence and get into the fight. See, the war is not lost, but we must choose a side. Joshua 24, 15 says, choose, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, it's time to make a decision. There's no such thing as a lukewarm part-time Christian. You're either all in or you're all out.
Stop lying to yourself, telling yourself that you could be a Christian and still be a part of the world. Stop telling yourself it's okay to be stagnant in the battle of good and evil. Because when you stand down, others around you will stand down. Your sons will stand down. And your daughters will marry men that stand down. Men, get up and be the example. It's time to get on fire for the Lord. Will you stand and pray with me? Father God, I pray today that you will fill the men of this community with a passion for you. I pray that the desire to be closer to you will burn in their hearts. And I ask that, you will become, that we will become the men that you have created us to be. No more half-hearted men of the world, but strong, courageous men of God. Father, I pray that we will stand in the gap for our wives, our children, and, and this community. Father, open our hearts and our minds to your will. Give us opportunities to share your love and your message with others. Give us the courage to speak life into our families, friends, and co-workers that might not know you. Remove the scale from our eyes that we may see the way you see. Let us have a desire to be less like the world and more like Jesus. Father, forgive us for sitting on the sidelines of all these years and equip us for battle. Make us your vessel, Father, and use us for your glory. Father, I love you, and I praise you, and I give you all the glory. I ask your things in Jesus' name. Amen.